Hello, everybody. Crypto traders around the world. We're back with another episode of Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net, a.k.a. Basic Cryptonomics. Thank you for joining here today. My name is Leister. I'm your host. We've got a couple topics I want to go through. First, let's get the particulars out of the way, and then we'll jump right into this. Once again, that site is CryptoTalkRadio.net. That's where you're going to find all of our past, present, and future podcast episodes. The podcast is on all major podcasting platforms as well. Feel free to check that out. Let us know what you think. Link at the top says contact. Click that. Fill out the form. Come straight in. We read each and every one of those. We appreciate hearing feedback from our listeners, whether you're a subscriber or not. We would appreciate your subscription if you're a first-time listener. We again welcome you here. We think you're going to find it's completely different from any other crypto podcast that's out there. And hopefully you get great enrichment to the point that you feel like you want to spread the word out there. The last thing I'll call out is our triad membership. The triad is where we are trying to build a community of serious investors, not the kids that say the word Jeet and say the word Keck and can't half read. We're talking serious investors that believe there's something to this cryptocurrency thing and they want to talk to other grown adults, other serious people. Get away from the toxicity. Check it out on the site. Click on triad. It'll tell you about our different tiers for joining the full on triad. If you still have questions, you can join us in our discord channel. CryptoTalkRadio.net slash Discord will take you straight there. And anybody will be happy to answer any questions you may have. Given that, let's go ahead and jump right into our content for today's episode. A very good evening out there on Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net. My name is Leister. I'm your host, and I am recording on a different device if it sounds different. I apologize for the audio flux, but The normal recording equipment is at the place that I'm going to be going, effective tomorrow, which spins nicely into my personal update. So my last episode, I recorded on one of my tablets. That one, I listened it back. Eh, It's not, not as bad as the other tablet, but it's not what I really want. So that audio will be optimized. I'm going to run it through once I get my computer set up. It will be post processed and optimized to a higher standard than it is. This one, I'm not going to know really how it sounds. Challenges that the host, which is Spotify, when it does the preview, the preview is compressed. So it doesn't really sound the way you would hear it on the application. That's why I say I can only know after it actually fully publishes, which is annoying. With my other setup, I can preview it offline. So I know what it is. This one has the ability. I actually went out. You might think I'm crazy, but it is. I got frustrated with my laptop. I have laptops all over the place. I have at least six different laptops because over time, you know, I get a laptop and it works for a point. And then at some point it's no longer effective for my daily runner, but it's still useful. You know, it still works for different applications. So I have a laptop that's for movies. I have a laptop that's for work. I have a laptop that's for personal because I just hang on to them. I actually was at a point, I have like a desktop towers that I've kept over time. But here, I had a I have an HP laptop, HP Envy. I've had it for a couple of years, and it's starting to have some weird issues with the video that were really pissing me off. And I figured, you know, that's getting on my nerves. The battery life sucks. It probably only gets two hours of battery life to boot. I just I was done with it. Not going to deal with this. I have a Lenovo Yoga that was a business laptop. I bought it when I started my business, but when I got my tower that I then built later. The tower far surpasses it. I've never used the yoga. And the yoga is decent, but not great. So I needed something that had good battery life, something that was portable, something that would 
be my personal driver so I can move back away from relying on the tablet when the personal laptop sucks. In comes this MacBook Air. I just bought the uh, latest MacBook Air with the M2 processor. And I've, I'm Apple. You know, I grew up with Apple computers, so I'm not foreign to Apple computers. It just so happens that I use Windows more often because of the work that I do. Businesses use Windows. That's just what it is. But I've always had an app to do for Apple computers. Again, stemming back to when I was a kid, an Apple computer is the first thing I ever touched. Was using it all the way through school because at the time that's all the schools would do. So um, it just I moved back to Windows because it was what it was. And frankly, I didn't want to have to deal with Windows 11. I toyed with Windows 11. It's on. I don't know if you know about if you're in, if you're a gamer, there are some gaming hardware handhelds, uh, and then one's in ASUS ROG Ally. I got that guy. He has Windows 11. It runs full Windows, but you can play Steam. You can play Xbox, all this stuff. It's not cheap, but it's pretty cool. And then I do have a Steam Deck, but the Steam Deck can only really do Steam. I mean, it runs Linux and you could hack behind it, but it's not It's not as seamless. So, suffice to say, I figured, let me just go ahead and get something different that focuses on battery life, stability, reliability, and the Apple computers, for the most part, have always met all those. So I bought this MacBook Air. It is what I'm recording this on through the platform's website. So I'm not going to really know the quality of the audio until it's all done. And then if it turns out it's still not what I want, then I'll, you know, go ahead and remaster it later. Meanwhile, let's go ahead and get into cryptocurrency. And just real quick, I said that tomorrow things are going to shift around. It's because today is my last evening in the penthouse suite. So I will be going to my actual place. My full bed is not there. I had to go buy a mattress, a little air mattress just to sleep there because next week, Tuesday, the internet gets turned on. I have to get set up, fully set up and set up my desktop, my work computer, everything gets set up and I'm going to be hitting the ground running at which point I'll be back on the groove of the podcast. That's why I wanted to make sure you know where I'm at and what I'm doing. Because I want to make sure I give you the quality that you expect, especially if you're new to the show. And by the way, welcome. Meanwhile, let's go to Coindesk.com, and I'm zooming out to the month chart so I can look at the graph, and I see way more red than green. However, the amount of green has increased from what it used to be. There was a symptom that happened very recently that I want to talk about because it caused a little bit of a pump. Very small, not significant, but it went up about 20 bucks on Ethereum. Ethereum hovering between 1623 and 1658 over the last 24 hours. Bitcoin then, that's the star of the show here. If I look at the month chart on Bitcoin, and I'll come back to the, the earlier charts, but I'm going to focus on the month chart on Bitcoin, you'll notice the same thing. Again, it's more red than green, but very recently, just in the last day, there was a significant run-up of Bitcoin when it dropped down to about 25, 25.8, 25.7, somewhere there, and then ran up to about 26.3. Over 24 hours, 25.6 with a high of 26.4. About a 2%-ish, 2.5%-ish variation. What happened? Well, if you zoom to the day chart, you'll notice there was a little bit of a pump that happened this afternoon and slash evening. This is believed to be a trap. This is believed to be people that are trying to get some exit liquidity out of people. I can't say for sure because obviously I'm not in those people's wallets. I will tell you, there was some run-ups and then some dump and then up and then dump and up and dump. And it doesn't look like it's going to be able to sustain this upward pressure. It looks like it's going to go right back down, which is not a bad thing because some people may want to be able to buy at a discount. And I do know that some wealthy people are actually 
buying dips on this Bitcoin business because they do believe it's going to run up in 2024. I can't tell you to do what, you, what to do with your money. I will tell you that every indicator that you can see across any site possible seems to indicate that we're headed downward again. If you were able to make some profit off this run up, all kudos. You know, I'm not going to criticize that hustle. I am saying it doesn't look like this is going to sustain. So be careful is the bottom line there. In some news here, if you're not in the United States, I think the vast majority of listeners are, but if you're not in the United States, we have what's referred to as the Financial Accounting Standards Board. The Financial Accounting Standards Board is getting involved a little bit, not major, a little bit with this whole crypto business, because as we start talking about the intersection between regular business accounting and cryptocurrency accounting, it becomes ever more critical for these organizations to be able to show how assets and liabilities translate in a cryptocurrency world. Remember what I said, cryptocurrency doesn't really have any value until you transact it, specifically that you sell it or purchase it with a fiat conversion. So if you're a business and you're going to buy into cryptocurrency, you would have to exchange some form of fiat to buy into it. If you sell it, it needs to come back on the books as some sort of a fiat. If you were to transfer it from business A to business B, theoretically it goes off the books of A and goes on the books of B, but as a different type of asset class. It's not a fiat asset class. It's not a, it's not a gain necessarily. You could present it as we expected to have this amount of gain. Let's say that it's USD Tether. USD Tether is a stable coin. So if you bought a million dollars worth of USD Tether, in theory, there's a million dollars worth of additive value on company B that's separated from company A. This is true. Well, the board is trying to take another stab at this and say, how can we make this easier? How can we make this a little bit more clear? And we want to make sure that we adjust any of our standards to properly allow businesses to account for these assets and liabilities. This is wrapped into what's referred to as the generally accepted accounting principles or GAAP in the United States. Just in summary here, GAAP, and I don't want to bore you with the overfinances because I hate math too, but in GAAP, GAAP right now, requires that company takes and writes down the value of any cryptocurrencies when there's a price drop. However, it does not allow businesses to claim a gain. So when you take a write down, right, you're saying a loss, but it does not allow you to take a gain when prices go up. Well, you can think of how this would affect a business. If you're dealing with a cryptocurrency that just crapped out, like say Bitcoin is an example, where you bought in in 2020 late, and it ran up to 60 something thousand dollars, you could not show that gain. You couldn't show that appreciation. But when it crapped back down, you have to translate that into a write down. You have to show that that's a loss because of the perception that the fiat equivalency is gone. And it would be at that point in time. So what they're trying to do is figure out, well, how do we get this to be a little bit more clear and more fair, truly fair? The reason this is significant is that a lot of businesses have hesitated to adopt cryptocurrency as part of their books because they're not sure how they can properly account for it without disrupting their business when it comes to accounting and they get audited. So this is a, I think, a bullish thing that this is, that they're at least looking at it. Consider, if a business could claim the positives of a run-up on cryptocurrency, there's no disincentive to buying into cryptocurrency which could cause a little bit of a bull run. But I'm going to play devil's advocate here. If we have businesses that can simply claim a positive climb 
on the books, you know, you could run a risk of pump and dump at a greater rate. Consider a meme token like Pepe, billions of dollars flowing into it. A company buys in and then they dump it right away, or maybe they don't dump it. Maybe they stable it. Consider this. And yes, I'm tinfoiling a little bit, but consider you have a Pepe type of meme token. It does an amazing run up. They convert it straight to a stable coin. So the fiat equivalency is still flat now, right? But to that token, everybody else is wrecked. It's a loss because it's essentially a dump. But the business gets to benefit from this. Now, I actually consider this smart in translation, but consider how it affects everybody else. So while I do think it's a bullish sentiment, I guess what I'm saying is if it turns out to be a thing and it turns out that the businesses now have a little bit more flexibility in how they report the asset run-ups versus crap outs, you need to be even more careful than before because it's no longer a game of these crypto nerds trading cryptocurrency. Now you get big businesses who could be doing pump and dumps left and right, which is why the SEC has been trying to get regulation in place in order to lock it down because I'm pretty sure they anticipated this would happen. Speaking of the SEC, very recently, they actually just settled with an organization called Linus Financial or, you know, around this again on registered crypto lending. As we say, when it's lending products, it seems like the SEC always has their eye on the prize. The product in question is specifically referred to as interest accounts. So right now they didn't press any charges about it, but they just went straight to settlement. A lot of these organizations are, they're not even bothering with the court case like you saw with XRP. A lot of these are just settling out of court and then agreeing not to offer these deals like Kraken did. So a lot more organizations are expected to settle ultimately with the SEC if they're offering any sort of product that is lending in nature. That's the expectation. There's no guarantee, but that's the expectation because it's kind of a bull threat, right? And then of course the government has been trying to lock down the SEC. And when I say the government, I mean above them. They're trying to lock down the SEC and put some guardrails around it. And so you need to be more specific and more clear about what, what's really the violation here. The SEC provided a little bit more information about what they specifically had an issue with. Basically, Linus Financial allowed you to deposit money, as in fiat, directly with them. And then that firm would provide you a rate of return. This may sound very similar to a bank. It's basically banking money. It's called a money service business is what it's the term. But what they would do with the money is they would turn around and they would purchase cryptocurrency. They would take if there was profits off the cryptocurrency and return part of it back to the investor. Where this went south with the SEC is the idea that and Gary Gensler put out a video. This goes back. If you go out our archives, I covered a video where I said that Gary Gensler uses anti-vegetarian terminology to try to describe this, their issue with this. The real beef they had here is when you take somebody's money and you reinvest it and then you take your cut, kind of like a kickback, but you take your cut off of it and then return it back. The risk is you're benefiting off of it. It's not like you, the person, right, are investing directly into cryptocurrency. You're giving your money to somebody as a custodian that custodian is investing in something 
and they're returning something to you that's likely not 100% and they're probably pocketing a portion of it because that's the only way they can stay in business. This middle man strategy, that's what they had a large beef about with this. The other piece was if you're asked to invest money with the expectation of a return, I said it before, an investment is nothing more than I give you something with the expectation of a return of value. That's literally what it is. If you're doing that, you're going to run their ire. They're going to come after you because that's what they, they're looking at. Okay, you're, you're not doing this out of the goodness of your heart and I'm not directly investing in the cryptocurrency directly. Somebody has to be a middleman to get that to me and that's where they had a beef with it. Quote, Linus Financial converted investors' cash into crypto assets, pooled the crypto assets. So by pooling, what they're referring to is you're putting them all together into one asset pool together as opposed to separated by each customer. So if I've got a 10,000 customer set, if I'm taking all of their stuff, all their money, all their money, and I just go and make a bulk purchase and it sits in this little pool of, of crypto wealth, and then from there, I distribute back whatever rewards to individuals, that pooling, commingling of funds, as it's referred to, raises the ire of the SEC. Quote, controlled how the pooled assets were used to generate income for Linus Financial itself and for the investors' interest payments. Stop. So, again, because they're acting like a custodian over these crypto assets that were purchased using somebody else's money, and then because they were taking their own money piece out of it because they got to get paid. They're not doing it for free. SEC gets involved and says, okay, this ain't going to work. Once this is all brought to light, they immediately stopped offering it to new customers and they said, everybody else, you need to get your stuff out of here. We're done doing this as part of the settlement. The summary of that, and I think it's important to pay attention. I did a video on YouTube some time ago on DEX Finance. I believe that was the name of it. And it was as per request of a listener. And I pretty much I, I was not kind to it. Let's say that. And it wasn't personal. It, it, the, the requester, I even told him, look, it's not personal. It's not about you or I'm sure these are good people. I'm, I'm never going to support these kinds of products because the SEC is going to be all over them like a, like a, you know, second skin. And I think that's too much risk for, you know, uh, investors and listeners. And I didn't want anybody to be put at risk because of something we can avoid and prevent. So, I say that also here. I, I think there's too much of this and I think there's too many people trying to do this and I understand why. I've never been a fan of it. I never will be a fan of it. I just personally don't think it's the right answer for where we need to go. Mr. Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq Fu, Shaq Diesel, whatever you want to refer to him as, he's been in the limelight. He's been sued. He There's actually a video. It's hilarious. It's somewhere on, try to track it down, but basically... They tried to, somebody tried to serve him some papers. They ran up on his SUV and they tried to serve him some papers and he drove off and the, you could see the person like he threw the papers at the SUV or something. <laughs> so, so Shaq never really got officially quote served on that occasion. He later did get officially served. But my point is he's been ducking the smoke. He was running just like he ran on AEW away from the thing. And this is all around FTX. It's around FTX as well as NFTs as many of these celebrities getting involved in, in, in NFTs. There was another uh, complaint filed on the lawsuit. It's a pre-existing lawsuit against Shaq, as well as a couple of others. He has a project. It's called Astral. It's an NFT project. And apparently they're saying that this NFT project is 
essentially an unregistered security and violating securities laws and offering Solana-based assets for this. It's a very lengthy deal. I, I'm not going to go into too much details on this, but ultimately this, this was funny because he was, I don't know if he was showing it or he was at it or he was sponsoring or managing. I don't know what he was doing, but he was at a game. This was a couple months ago. He was at an actual basketball game and got served these papers finally um, for this lawsuit around these NFTs. I'm not, I'm not going to even comment on it. The reason I'm not going to comment on it is because there's so much smoke around NFTs and celebrities. And I think that celebrities jumped on the board. I did an episode about Paris Hilton and I said that, you know, is it that these celebrities have, are they the reason that NFTs tanked in value because they got involved? Because if you think of what NFTs were before celebrities got involved, there was at least some intrinsic value to those that were trading it. Once you started seeing influencers, quote unquote, as well as celebrities and everybody else getting involved, the game changed. All of a sudden, it seemed like they took it over. It seemed like it no longer was the independent crypto traders that were benefiting from this. And now the prices go crazy inflated and it becomes a bubble. And we saw this multiple times, multiple times all over the business. And so this, I can't even say, I do know that there's a lot of different NFT you know, projects out there, you know, the whole, uh, what is it, Jake Paul or Logan Paul, one of the two Paul brothers and their deal that CoffeeZilla was going after. And there's just so much smoke around it, which is why I've largely avoided NFTs, because I think that once those influencers and celebrities got involved, it just became a different ball game and it just was not worth it, uh, in my opinion. The founder of Polygon, which is Matic, it's Layer 2, and ironically associated with Shibarium because they were the ones that helped get Shibarium back over the finish line over this, came out recently in response to some allegations made that apparently and allegedly the Polygon Foundation had taken and was trying to dump on the project. This is, this is what was alleged. I have no evidence of this. I didn't go too deep into it, but what happened was... Theories came out that this was a mislabeled wallet, that this isn't Polygon's wallet, or at least not the founder's wallet. They d dug a little bit deeper and said, no, it's actually their wallet. So let's, what's the reason? What's going on here? There's two wallets on this one. Six million dollars sent to Binance. Are you about to dump on the project? The chief executive on this, on Polygon, came back and said, this is not our wallet. But... More research was done on blockchain analysis by very reputable firms, and they were able to connect the dots and say these wallets were used in previous transactions associated to the Polygon Foundation, okay, but not necessarily to, you know, this person. What does this mean? It means that the Polygon Foundation may have somebody who's gone rogue. It means that Polygon's leadership may not be aware of what's really happening. Or it could be an inside job, as in the Polygon boss does know and he's deflecting with a Chewbacca. I don't think that's the case. He seems like a reputable guy. But it, it, something's certainly going on because they were able to definitively say that these wallets were associated to Polygon Foundation and trying to get answers as to what's going on. We never really got any true answer. All we know is that we saw that there's a connection here and possibly a dump if it hasn't happened already, it's going to come here soon. Or could be if they got found out that they backed down. I don't know if that's true or not.
The other note I'll call out, this is around Ethereum, roughly about $6 million of Ethereum was recently burned. Ethereum's always had a recurrent burn, so this is not new. However, the amount of burn is significant for what it is. This did not contribute to a run-up of the price for SHIB or for BOM, as people expected it would do. They expected that we were going to finally see these two projects run up and get, you know, go on a bull. And I wanted just to put to ease, there are actually some people thinking now that SHIB is not going to run anywhere, that SHIB's going to have some issues. I think, I think SHIB's going to run. I think it's going to take longer for it to run than anything else. I think that Bone has a stronger probability of going somewhere, if only because it's required to use Shibarium. And if it turns out that more projects get on Shibarium, it can only run. It has no choice but to run. It was not going to run off of the recent burns or the recent Bitcoin pumps for a different reason, which is sell pressure. Bone has some sell pressure right now, as do multiple in the SHIB ecosystem, but certainly Bone has strong sell pressure. And there were rumors coming around CoinMarketCap that some people tried to bridge their Bone back to the Ethereum chain and it ended up getting lost. I can't prove this, but if it's true, that would essentially be kind of like a burn. And I would expect over time, if there was a lot of it, we would see a little bit of green and we didn't. So maybe it's an isolated selective issue, but the chatter about that might make people skittish. They might be a little bit nervous to buy into it. The last bit of news, all not news, but I want to just do a little bit of informational pieces. I wrap up here. And we've talked about, I've talked about the spot Bitcoin ETF. I've talked about other ETFs and realized that some people may not wrap their head around the benefits of ETFs and what they mean to cryptocurrency. Because it's kind of a, it's not a newer paradigm, but it is, it's starting to gain more traction than it did before. So with the ETFs, consider if you're in the stock market or consider if you have a 401k or an IRA. When you have investment vehicles, as they refer to, you have ways to invest in the stock market, bonds, stocks, right? And for you, what does that mean? It means that you're largely trading, what, 6 a.m. Pacific to 2 p.m. Pacific is, you know, and you know that the exchange will stop trading at a certain point. You know that there's some protection on your assets because of the the way that the industry is built. You have protection of your assets. It's very rare for you to completely lose your assets. And in many cases, they're required to communicate to you about what they're doing. You also have largely advanced knowledge about when something's going to happen. And there are protections against insider trading and other types of violations. People like that. It's appealing to them. The idea that I can benefit financially, but I can also be protected against the risk that's inherent to any sort of trades. On the crypto side, you have no such protections. It's it's a free-for-all. It's a wall, wall, west. And so when you have like the spot Bitcoin ETFs, when you have um, BitGets and others, where they wrap into an ETF or the new spot Ethereum ETF that they're trying to get through. All of these ETFs allow this side who have these other investment vehicles to parlay essentially with cryptocurrency without the risk, without exposing themselves to the risk of it. Because what they're doing is they're investing in an organization who has a portfolio that is cryptocurrency. 
I talked about earlier in the episode, the, you know, the gap and financial, you can't claim when it runs up, but you're going to get nailed. If it goes down, you got to do write downs, et cetera. It doesn't necessarily stop businesses from investing. However, they're hesitant to do so. So in response, partially, partially in response, you now have this concept of ETFs and multiple companies where they have bought into cryptocurrency. And now you can invest in those companies and their cryptocurrency positions. So you are being exposed to the benefits or downsides, but really benefits of cryptocurrency without the risk inherent of direct trades. Some, some influencers are kind of moved away from spot trading on cryptocurrency to leveraged margin trades. I, I understand it. I've done it. It's not for me. I think that there's not, nothing wrong with it. If you're profit driven, I think it's fine. It's mostly turnkey. But I also recognize that for me, doing that means I must entrust my assets to an exchange, not your keys, not your coins. So then that forces me to diversify further than I'm comfortable. I have to take some of my cryptocurrency and leave it with an exchange, which means it's not really mine, and then some and leave it in the wallet. Now, I make enough money I can do that without really thinking about it, but I don't want to leave my money in any exchange. I've learned my lesson with Gate.io. So if they like leverage trades, that's great for them. It's just not really for me, brother. And so ETFs, I am in ETFs, leverage ETFs. Mostly, I think it's a Bitcoin-based ETF, but it's got, you know, it's got a number of companies behind it where their portfolios are all cryptocurrency. And then I invest in ETF and it's been jumping. It's jumped, I want to say, at least 2x since when I bought into it and I've taken profits off of it. That's all in my IRA portfolio. So I get the protections inherent to it being an IRA portfolio and it's mostly turnkey. I don't have to worry about, you know, is it a mean garbage where I don't have to worry about telescam. I don't have to worry about, you know, getting updates on Discord. Like it's just a different era, but it's not for everybody either. I'm saying I'm sharing this because if, if you are in cryptocurrency right now and you're patient, you know that it's strongly probable, not not guaranteed, but strongly probable. Cryptocurrency is going to go on a run in 2024 at some point. And so you might be patient at that point, or you're buying and selling, you're trading arbitrage, or you're leverage trading with margin trades on exchange. You're doing something, you know, right? If you're in crypto, you're doing one of the three. But I wanted to share at least a little information about ETS because it's yet another avenue that could expose you to ETFs without the risks inherent to cryptocurrency being largely unregulated and largely no protections. On the ETF side, you have the same protections you would have on the stocks and bonds and everything else. It just so happens that they're associated to cryptocurrency in some way. So it's something I think you should look at because diversification of portfolio can never be a wrong thing. Please don't YOLO into cryptocurrency, please. Don't YOLO in the stock market either, but don't YOLO into cryptocurrency. You should have multiple different types of assets. I would argue you should have stock-based assets, bond-based assets, cash, assets I'm, I'm serious cash on hand that you control this in your box and it's or a lockbox or a safe or something else titles to things that's assets so titles to property titles to cars titles to land deeds you know you should have different asset classes of things and then trade cryptocurrency if you choose to but never yolo into any one of these because if you put all your eggs in one basket you know the saying so be careful. Just be careful because it's a it's a challenging time. I think it'll pass, but right now it's a challenging time and we all have to look at that in the bigger picture of it all. 
That'll do it for today's Crypto Talk Radio episode. I want to thank you for listening today. We know you've got choices. CryptoTalkRadio.net, if you would, we would appreciate. At the very top, we have a contact form. Fill that out. Let us know what your thoughts are. If we're doing great or something you don't like, we always love to hear from our listeners. If you don't mind spreading the word, we would also appreciate that. If you think other people would benefit from the type of coverage that we do, we work hard to try to be different than every other type of podcaster or YouTuber that's out there. So hopefully we're on track with that. Finally, our YouTube channel, of course, is at Basic Cryptonomics. If you want to find us on there, those are dedicated, specific, exclusive types of episodes. So you'll hear things there that you won't hear on the podcast and vice versa. Check us out there for more quick and dirty coverages. Until next time, take care.